You've probably heard the, the saying at some point along the way, nature abhors a vacuum. Maybe you've experienced that when you've gotten a donut that was supposed to be filled with something and you found it was empty. That bad, bad news. Maybe you've experienced it uh, when there's an awkward silence. <laughs> See, you're, you're filling the silence, right? I mean, we, we hate emptiness and so we, we try to, to, to fill it up. Um, it, it, this is actually a scientific uh, proof uh, in, in physics that says that when you have a denser substance, it's trying to rush to fill in an empty void. And so we experience that uh, as we're coming into colder weather and we have heat in our house, molecules are moving around faster. Outside, it's cold, fewer molecules, so you open that door and the heat is rushing to get out the door. We see this in all kinds of areas of life. It's why some people go to Disney World, for example. And so people go to escape uh, the emptiness. And now Disney World does not look like this today. Can you imagine? It's empty today. But typically people are escaping uh, their life and, and they're saying, I want to get away. And I'm trying to oftentimes fill some kind of emptiness. And if you've been to Disney, you know that there's not a moment of emptiness when you are at Disney. I mean, there's, there's entertainment constantly, all kinds of stuff to do. There's food. Uh, our family got to go there for the first time at Christmas. And what we experienced with the food was we started at the beginning of the week, like this is so awesome. Like we can get so much to eat and snacks and all these meals and stuff. And by Thursday, we were like, cannot even look at food anymore. I think we could have had one meal plan for all five of us and had enough to eat. But it's just like filling, 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 filling. And, and the interesting thing about going to Disney was then on the way home, it's like we're getting on the plane and then we're facing coming back to reality. And it kind of feels empty. It feels like what, what happens now? What do we have to look forward to now? And the scientific term, actually, for this idea of nature abhors a vacuum is horror vacui. That's Latin. So there's this, there's this fear that we have of, of emptiness. And so we try to fill it. If, if this is our life, it, that we, we don't like being empty, we say, okay, I, I want to fill that space with something. So I'll fill it with uh, some busyness. And so we try to get active in different, ask that different things, pursuits in our life. And then that doesn't quite do it. So we say, well, maybe I need more relationships. Or maybe I need a different relationship. And so I'm going to try to fill myself up more with that. And that still doesn't quite do it. And so then we say, well, maybe I just need to achieve more. Maybe I just need to do better at work. Maybe if I can get that promotion, maybe that will cause me to be filled up. And if you've tried all of those things, then, then you know that really none of those things really still leave us feeling filled up. See, we, we fear emptiness. We have that horror vacui. But interesting thing that, that God says that empty is not all bad. And so you may be here this morning and maybe you're, you're searching for faith. Maybe you don't know a whole lot about Jesus or the Bible and you're here and, and, and maybe you've tried to, to be filling your empty space with something and you're, you're searching for something more to fill that up. Or maybe you've been a longtime follower of Jesus and you're still trying to fill up that, that empty space. 
that the good news is that there is a way to fill that space up and find satisfaction, but it's probably not the way you have been trying to fill it up. So we're going to see the right way, that God's way to fill it up this morning. If you would take a Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2. If, uh, if you want to grab a Bible that's there near you, uh, it's on page 1081, or you can use a device if you got one with you and you have a Bible app on there. Uh, we're in a series called Off Center, and we're talking about the, the problem when we are in the center, when, when me is in the center, which incidentally is our default. When me is in the center, things are off center and doesn't work. And so last week we had a demonstration here of a seesaw, and if a seesaw is off-center like this with me in the center, then it's not going to work. But what we discovered last week is that there's a way to re-center, and that the seesaw can then be balanced and can work the way it is meant to. And what we discovered there is when Christ is in the center, then there's balance and, and things can work. And so we saw in the first few verses here of Philippians 2 how that works. Uh, let's reread those just to recap. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, that's the me-centeredness, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So what we said last week is that when me is in the center, we end up selfish. And so we, we need to get me out of the center and put others first, but before we can put others first, Jesus has to be the center, has to be the first of all. And we said a way to remember that is the word joy. If you want joy in your life, Jesus needs to be first, others next, and you, uh, you and me as uh, third. And so if you have tried to put any of that into practice this past week, then you know that that can be a real challenge. And so one of the challenges that came my way personally this week was uh, we are at our house involved in a couple of different projects, house projects going on, the most significant of which is, is rebuilding our deck. And so uh, this week we actually started putting down the planks on the deck. It's starting to look like a real deck. And as we were doing that, I started having this idea for something else we could do on the deck to kind of finish it off and do a, ni a really nice railing. And so I found this picture on the internet. I brought it home to my wife and I said, look, we could do this. Once we finish the, the deck, we could put this around the edge and it's, it's going to look so cool. Wouldn't, wouldn't this be beautiful? And she said, no. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean no? I mean, can't you see how great this looks? And she's like, no, we've, we've got this thing over here that we need to do. We've got this and we've already spent a lot of money on the deck. And I'm like, who are you? Where, where did you come from? 21 years ago when we got married, she was the one that wanted to spend money. And I was the one who was like, no, we can't buy anything because we got to put money in savings. And now we have totally reversed. And now I'm the one that I don't even look at what's in the checking account. If I still got my debit card and we got checks, then I know we're okay. And she's the one that's kind of keeping an eye on that kind of stuff. And I'm like, what has happened to you? And she's like, no, we, we can't do that. And so I'm faced with this choice of, I mean, I've got to consider 
what this other person, the significant person in my life, what she wants. It's not all just about me and what I want. It's, it's challenging to put ourselves third and, and really and put someone else first and then and put someone else ahead of me. But then Jesus, really, we need to be coming to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you want us to do with our money? That's challenging. So if you need help with that, what we're, what we're going to see here this morning is a real-life example of someone doing that. It's, it's actually Jesus modeling getting past selfishness for us. So let's read on in Philippians 2, starting verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Paul says, have this mind among yourselves. I want you to think like Christ Jesus. And so we're going to kind of walk through this and, and break this down this morning. And we're going to look at four different steps in, in this fight that we have against selfishness. I don't often do this and kind of walk through steps, but those of you who love steps, you're going to love this this morning. So we're going to walk through four steps here that we see, starting with, starting with who I really am. That's where we start, is start with who I really am. In verse 6, it says, who Jesus, though he was in the form of God. Let's pause there for a second because Jesus' identity is very significant to what is going to come. That word form in the Greek is really the idea of essence. It's really saying Jesus is God. Now that is a point of controversy, I know, in, in our world. Some people don't agree. They think Jesus was just a, a good teacher, he just came, taught lots of good things, you know, made a sacrifice, that kind of thing. But Jesus was very clear about this when, when he was on earth. The book of John especially, Jesus says things over and over again to reveal his identity as God. Maybe the clearest statement in John chapter 10, he said, I and the Father are one. On another occasion, he was talking with the Jewish leaders who, who revered Abraham as their patriarch. And he said, before Abraham was born, I am. And so he wasn't just saying I existed, I predated Abraham. He was using the term I am, which is the way God revealed himself in the Old Testament. I am that I am. Jesus knew who he was. He was in the form of God. He, he started with who he really was. And the way you and I see ourselves changes everything. Because sometimes uh, we, we can see ourselves, we have a choice. We can either see ourselves in relationship to God which is that we have amazing value because he created us and it gives us privileges, the fact that we are his child. At the same time, it gives us accountability. We are subject to him because he is the powerful creator and we are his creation. That, that defines who we are. We start with who we are. Some people don't, don't see that. They try to be their own God. They don't see their relationship in, in uh, connection to God. And so they end up with this feeling of emptiness, trying to prove themselves. And what happens is when we, when we recognize who we are in relation to God, who we really are with the values and the privileges, that frees us up to serve others. 
When we don't recognize that, then we end up feeling empty and trying to fill ourselves, and we get very self-focused, and we don't have the capacity to serve others. So we start with who we really are. Secondly, then we let go of our rightful privileges. That's what Jesus did in verse 6. He was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now this is amazing because Jesus is God, but he didn't count equality with God a thing to grab hold of, to cling onto. He set it aside. He, he laid it aside. See, Jesus, because of who he was, because of who he is, because he is God, he had the privilege and the right to be worshipped, to be obeyed, to be respected. And instead, he didn't grab hold of those things and cling to those things. He set them aside and he subjected himself to come here to earth and to be ridiculed, to be misunderstood, to be rejected. He, he, he willingly chose those things. No one forced those things on him. And so here's where Jesus and we are very different. Because Jesus laid aside willingly what was rightfully his. Meanwhile, we humans are trying to grasp for what is not rightfully ours. And so from the first temptation in the garden, when the serpent came to the the man and woman and tempted them, the temptation he came with was to say, God knows that when you eat of it, that the fruit that was forbidden, when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the temptation is for you and I to be like God and then to fill ourselves because they go on from this temptation and they actually eat and fill themselves with the food. See, that's what that's the temptation for you. See, Jesus is the opposite of us. He is God and he... He's laid aside his privileges. You and I are not God. We try to be like God and we try to fill ourselves up. So Jesus models for us letting go of our rightful privileges. And then thirdly, to empty ourselves of self. In verse 7, he emptied himself. So let's back up to verse 6 and see the progression here. Though he was in the form of God, though he was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That word emptied there gives us a a really powerful theological concept. You may have heard the word kenosis. And so that's the Greek word here for he emptied himself. He set aside his godness and came as this helpless little baby. And so he calls us to to set aside our rightful privileges. See, this is where we get hung up. This is where we have a hard time being obedient because we feel like we need to hold on to our rights. And just as an example, I'm going to give you an example I've used before and talk about the rights that we have when we are driving our car. Okay? So... Um, there are things called yield signs, and I, I don't know if anybody trains you guys, you know, what a yield sign means, but that means when you come to a yield sign and somebody else doesn't have one, then you're supposed to stop and let them go. And so I experience this on a regular basis because I'm uh, going up Yardley, uh, Newtown Road, towards Newtown, and turning left to get on 95 south. And so when I turn left there, 
there's another merge lane that's coming in, and they have a yield sign, and I don't. <laughs> so my lane has, please pay attention to my wording here, my lane has the right of way. And the people coming up to the yield sign do not have the right of way, but apparently no one taught them that because I don't see very many people yielding at that yield sign. It happens there. It happens at four-way stops. I don't know if they don't teach people how to do four-way stops anymore or when it's time for you to go, but when I come to a four-way stop, it's just a free-for-all, and it's whoever can get the nose of their car out first. And I'm sitting there in these instances, and I'm thinking, my humanity is being threatened right now. Do you not realize I have the right of way? And we could, take, we could take that and play it out in so many areas of our life, right? We have the right to do certain things. We have a right to be treated a certain way. And Jesus, instead of grasping those rights, laid them aside and was willing to then go, go on uh, to the next verse here, or to the next idea, to be a servant, he emptied himself, verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. See, Jesus was so clear on his identity that he was willing to lay aside his rights and his privileges so that he could serve others. So he calls us to empty ourselves. The hard part about that is when we empty ourselves, there's this vacuum, and we're afraid of vacuums. We're going to get to how to fill up that vacuum in a minute, but before we do that, I'm going to let it sit there and bother us for a few minutes. By thinking about what Jesus did, he knew who he was, he set aside his privileges to serve to empty himself and serve others. And that leads us to be able to put others first. That's what we read about last week in verses 3 and 4. Let's reread that. In verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How do I put someone else first when... I'm empty. We'll get to the answer to that in a minute, but I want to take one more minute to give another real-life example of this because I think it's so applicable in this area. And let's talk about marriage for for a minute. So last week, I said that I was going to meddle a little bit, and somebody told me this week, I like it when you meddle, and so I'm going to meddle again because this this is an area where this shows up. I tell you, before I was married, I thought I was an other-centered person. I thought, man, I'm, I'm so humble, and I'm just so willing to serve the people around me. I'm, I'm great, you know? And then I got married, and I realized how selfish I really am, and how hard it is to, to now consider another person in my life when I'm making decisions, when I'm thinking about where I'm going to go, when I'm going to go, you know, what I'm going to buy. And see, one of the problems with marriage is that A lot of times people get married and then they keep living like they're not married. And they keep living like they're single and they can just make all of those decisions for themselves. And God says that's that's not the way it operates. In fact, God gives us some very 
uh, very specific direction, and this is fresh on my mind because of the wedding that we had yesterday, but in Ephesians chapter 5, he gives specific instructions to husbands and wives, and if you're not married but planning to be, then pay attention to this as well and just know what you have coming here. So to wives, Paul says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. To the husbands, he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, we could talk for a while about which of those is harder and, and everything. Um, I, I, I like to say it to ladies because I know ladies chafe a lot of times at this idea of submission. But look at what the husband is called to. He's called to sacrifice himself. There's a submission there as well. He's called to give up his life as Christ did. So let's, we, we won't spend time talking about which one of these is harder. But here's what happens a lot of times in a marriage relationship. Is a husband and wife will look at these... And instead of thinking about what is it that I am called to do and how am I called to serve my spouse, they start looking at what their spouse is called to do and we say, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. A a wife will will say, husband, you're not loving me. You're, You're not nourishing and cherishing me. Therefore, because you're not doing what you're supposed to do, I'm justified in not doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, husbands, you may look at your wives and say, you're not respecting me. You, you come home, you nag at me, you bug me, you, just, you, you won't listen to my, my ideas, you just want to do your own thing. And so a wife says, because you're not doing what God tells you to do, then I'm not obligated to obey. When you start doing what you're supposed to do, then I'll do what I'm supposed to do. See, that's asserting our own rights. And what Jesus models for us is to set aside what is rightfully yours. These things, this this way of being treated, that is your right. That is what God has called us to do. So that's the right thing, but you don't have the right to impose it on somebody else. Instead, we should follow the model of Jesus who said, I'm willing to lay down my rights and say, regardless of the way you conduct yourself, I will subject myself to the number one, and be obedient to him, and treat you the way he has called me to treat you. How, how do we do that? How do we do that if we are going to be empty? See, and whether we're talking about marriage, or whether we're talking about any other relationship, how do we lay down our rights? When we're talking about driving, how do I lay down my rights if I'm empty? Well, we, we don't. We, we, we actually get filled with God himself, with God's spirit, with the power of Christ in us. And so we're, we're filled, the, the difference is that we're not filled with self, we're filled with, with Christ. So we empty ourselves of self to create space for God to fill. I love something that uh, our women's ministry director, Joan Zeberlein, her mom said this. She said, it's hard to be filled with yourself and filled with the Spirit at the same time. So see, the reality of this cup, uh, as it represents our lives, the reality of this cup, your life, my life, is that there is only so much space in our life. And if we fill it all up with me, there's no space for, for God to be there. The more we empty ourselves of self, the more space we create for God to fill us. And then we don't have to be afraid. 
of the emptiness. We don't have to experience the horror vacui. Let me give you, there, there's a lot of verses that we could look at, but I want to give you just two truths to kind of hang on to as we talk about filling our, being filled with, with God, God filling that emptiness. This one comes from Ephesians. All of these come from Paul, uh, Paul's writings. So in Ephesians 3, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So God's asking us to empty ourselves, but to empty ourselves of self so that we can be filled with him. In Colossians chapter 2, it says, For in him, for in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So we are filled in Christ. So here's the question. So we put, we put aside the things that we try to fill ourselves. Here, here's the question for us to consider today. Where is it in your life right now that you're feeling empty? And, and maybe you can identify that by thinking about where am I trying to assert my rights? Where am I trying to prove something to somebody else? Where is that empty spot? And then instead of trying to fill it yourself, I encourage you to try something different, and that is to come to the Lord and say, God, I'm going to empty myself. I want to empty myself of self. I want to create space for you to fill. Would you come now and fill me? I want to take a, a moment here at the end of the message and just applaud some people who are doing this, some of you who are doing this right here at Grace Point. Some of you are doing it in many areas of life, but I want to just highlight some people who are doing this at Grace Point. Because our, our staff identified back at the beginning of the year a, a focus for us to have during this, this ministry year, and that is to help people move from me-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. And we identified three strategies. We're, we're pray, praying over these three strategies to help people in this endeavor to move from me-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. And so many of you are involved in, in carrying these things out. So the three strategies are, first of all, to partner with families to strengthen them for spiritual growth. So some of the ways that people do that is we have our, our children's ministry. We heard a little bit about that earlier. Our, our youth ministry. We have kids club on Wednesday night. And many of you are people who come during those times, or maybe you're in a different service and you are back with these kids, with these teens, and you're like getting down on eye level with them. You're teaching them. You're doing crafts with them. You're talking with them. You're showing the love of Jesus to them, which frees up you as parents to be in here and to be learning and to be being fed your, yourselves and to be able to grow yourselves. So hats off to those of you who are making that happen and partnering with families. In our teen ministry, some of you are the ones who sit with those small groups of teens or you're going out and getting shot, you know, and laser tag and then you're coming in with the small groups and you're listening to the struggles that these teens have at this very crucial juncture in their life and they need somebody to care about them. Thank you for being willing to empty yourself and serve uh, to serve others. The second strategy that we have is to sacrificially meet holistic needs of those who are struggling. And so, for example, um, grief share, 
begins tomorrow evening. Some of you have lost loved ones in the past year. Some of you have lost loved ones years ago and, and haven't grieved that well. And so we have grief share happening over a 13-week period. It begins tomorrow. And there are people who are devoted to being there every week of that 13 weeks to walk with you through grief. Thank you for those of you who are willing to, to do that and to sacrifice to make that happen. We have a Barnabas care team of people who come alongside of, of you when you're in a, a period of struggle and you just need somebody to care about you, listen to you. Our Barnabas care team is beginning training next Sunday, so you can join into that, and many of you are already part of that. But thank you for being willing to give personal care to people when they need it the most. We have our groups that are starting up next month. And so many of you are life group leaders and are willing to open up your homes and spend time preparing to create a safe environment and to walk alongside of people in their life when they have needs. Our groups are the primary way to, to meet needs in people's lives. So thank you for, for all of you who are willing to, to serve in that way. The third strategy that we have is to develop creative ways for people to get actively involved and so this morning you heard about our next steps area. We have some next steps guides who have been trained to stand out there and be ready when, when we come up there and have a question about something. How do I get involved in this or that? They know where to point you and how to help you get what you need. So I just want to say thank you to so many who are emptying themselves of self. And I, I didn't even mention nearly all of the ways that these things are taking place, but I just wanted to highlight a few. But thank you for so many who are emptying yourself so that you can serve others. Whether that is here at Grace Point, or that is in your home, in your school, at your workplace, let's all be working to empty ourselves of self so we can create space for God to fill us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for modeling for us what it looks like to be selfless. We need a real-life example of that because we are born with the selfish gene and we just want the world to revolve around me. And so thank you, Jesus, that even though in, in a real sense the world and the universe did revolve around you, you were willing to set that aside, to empty yourself, to be mocked and ridiculed and sacrificed on our behalf, thank you for the model that you gave us. Would you help us? Would you strengthen us to be able to follow in your footsteps? Would you strengthen us to know who we are in relationship to you and then be willing to lay aside our privileges and empty ourselves so that we can serve the others around us? Thank you, Jesus, that we don't need to be afraid of the emptiness. We don't need to have the horror vacui but that we can be filled in Christ and then overflow to touch the lives of the people around us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.